Hello, everyone. Uh, Christoph Trapp here with Interiors and Sources and the Buildings Media Podcast. And today I'm joined by Katie Yale. She's the Interiors and Sources Editor-in-Chief, of course. Hello. And Chris Rutherford, who's the Executive Director of the Architectural Salvage Warehouse of Detroit. Thanks for joining us, Chris. My pleasure. And so the the way Chris and I actually met, if we can call that meeting, mm-hmm. is was was through some articles that I saw um, in a national news source. I think I want to say it was CNN, and they were talking about how somebody was creating guitars from materials um, from commercial buildings that were no longer in use, and then your organization was mentioned in that article at at some point. That's right. Uh, we work with a lot of different companies that take our salvage material and make it into things. We actually help incubate those companies. There's two articles last week, one about Wallace Detroit guitars, and he takes the materials that we salvage from buildings and turns them into electric guitars and uh, Detroit Audio Lab. And we work with them to manufacture speakers and passive amps, uh, again, from the salvaged lumber that we uh, deconstruct the buildings and structures here in Detroit and the uh, greater Detroit area. And, uh, find new and great ways to reuse those materials. And I mean, that's just, it sounded like a fantastic story to me when I read it. I said, I really, I, I need to reach out. I need to connect with these guys, learn more about, learn more about them. And of course you were um, happy to come on our podcast. I think happy, right? <laughs> to come on. <laughs> Cautiously optimistic. Well, I don't know. But anyway, I'm just joking. Um, so tell us about how did the, how did the nonprofit come about? Uh, what's the mission? You know, what's your 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 goal in life? Yeah, we're we're a five hundred one c three nonprofit corporation, and our mission is to transform waste into opportunity. And uh, we initially came about by uh, trying to keep these great materials out of the landfill. And you know, you've seen lots of stories about Detroit and the uh, depopulation of the city and all of the uh, unused homes that are otherwise slated for demolition. And that became a great opportunity to create jobs and to keep those fantastic materials out of the landfill. I know the first time I walked into one of those houses and I saw the structural lumber that the houses were built out of, uh, my design background and training kicked in immediately. And I just thought what wonderful things could be made out of out of that material, furniture, uh, wall treatments, um, guitars and, and speakers and anything that could be made out of wood. It's just beautiful material. It's uh, sometimes the, you know, the original growth forests of Michigan or the second growth, uh, depending on how old the house is. It's just beautiful, wonderful material that creates jobs. And you know, instead of an architect specifying lumber that's from a, a forest in Brazil, they can specify materials that were harvested here in Detroit uh, from the homes that are no longer in use and gets remanufactured here in Detroit creates local jobs and a huge multiplier in the local economy. And uh, that's what we're in it for, to keep those materials out of the landfill, create jobs. And then we also get a lot of materials out of the houses uh, that are great low cost alternatives for Detroiters. So if a local Detroit resident furnace breaks down, they can get a furnace from us for uh, you know, pennies on the dollar. And that's one of the other great services we provide to the local residents. Oh, that's wonderful. And so you were talking a little bit about your background and how it was, gave you this ability to kind of see like these diamonds in the rough. 
Um, will you talk a little bit about your background and what kind of gave you this eye to and an ability to kind of think through this problem and to come up with a solution? Yeah, this uh, this job is kind of the perfect mix of all the things that I uh, love and, and do in life. My uh, training and degrees in interior design and furnishings design. And I've worked in, uh, as an architectural project manager at different firms. Uh, so I have that background. And then I've also done a lot of training and teaching. And so the the job training and job creation aspects uh, are perfect too. At the time I, I learned about deconstruction, I was actually doing training for weatherization, which is going in and, and making homes more energy efficient. And uh, an obstacle to employment for those uh, guys that we were training was some of the felony backgrounds. And uh, that was another thing that we thought about with deconstruction is you're not going into owner-occupied homes. And so the felony background really isn't an issue. So it's a great career pathway for uh, those populations that are underserved or have less opportunity. And we can get them into uh, all the construction trades and fields, which especially now are um, uh, there's not enough uh, uh, skilled workers to go around. Yeah. So is most of the, most of the materials, are they coming out of residential um, buildings and then they're moved, then they're used in commercial buildings or what's the flow there? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a pretty good mix. Um, there's also a lot of abandoned uh, industrial structures and commercial structures here in Detroit, especially the old manufacturing plants and those have a lot of great materials. And then, of course, and the provenance of those materials, the story behind them. Um, I think it's a pretty even mix. We do definitely a lot of residential deconstruction projects um, in the city of Detroit. And we do a lot of those also in the greater metro area. And those materials generally get remanufactured and put back into developments happening in downtown Detroit or midtown Detroit um, or bars and restaurants uh, all around the area. And uh, again, like I said, we're also shipping stuff uh, across the state and nationally. That's great. So then when, when the materials get used, so I'm looking at the pictures here. I, I have like, I don't know how many, it seems like a hundred slides of fantastic looking, um, you know, different rooms and, uh, steel windows, um, you know, all kinds of different things. And we'll, we'll certainly share that in the article. Do When it's repurposed, do they share where the material came from? This is from the longtime plan that closed in 1982 or whatever the story might be, or how does that look? Most do. Uh, it's a mix. Like I said, we also incubate a lot of different companies and, uh, a lot of those companies base their entire product line on the materials that we provide. And telling that story of where the wood came from is a really important part of, of their work, too. So uh, Ingrain Woodworking Company is one of them, and they make a lot of beautiful uh, frames and tap handles and um, uh, lots of fun stuff. And they, uh, with each piece they make, they uh, engrave on it the origin and they put a a little story together about where that wood came from workshop Detroit. They make a lot of great tables and other pieces of furniture and they hand stamp on each piece, the address that it came from. When you get into a project like the Detroit foundation hotel, which was originally the fire department headquarters in the city of Detroit, uh, we reused a lot of the materials from that. We salvaged from that project back into that project 
as well as bringing in materials from other places. And they definitely tell that story. They created a you know cool video to tell it. And that's part of um, their whole, uh, I guess, presentation to the public. Uh, so it's definitely, whether it's written or stamped on the piece, it's definitely part of the story that's told. Are you seeing um, an increase of interest in kind of the historical background of materials? Because I know that I've I've noticed a real uptick in the last few years of cities being really proud of their history and their heritage, and they want people to know that they're sourcing locally, that they're creating locally, um, and especially having that kind of that tactile and that that tangible evidence of, you know, this is the city's history, I would think that there would be, you would have seen an increase in kind of interest in this type of material. That's definitely an increased uh, driving trend, which is nice. Uh, you know, the, the trend for a while has also been the, the reclaimed uh, wood look where it uh, obviously looks reclaimed and it, it's moving a little bit away from that and more towards a refined uh, aesthetic where you don't necessarily know that it's reclaimed, but there's that story and, and provenance there. And it definitely helps to have uh, those reclaimed factory windows from Cadillac stamping plant or mm -hmm. uh, the, the trim work from the Packard plant and remaking those into uh, guitars or whatever we might make them into uh, telling that history. And in the buildings, uh, for sure, that's a, a driving, I think that was one of the, uh, decision-making points for the foundation hotel is to reuse local materials um, and to, to really invest in the local economy where they're, where they were building the hotel. Mm -hmm. You know, it is, that reminds me, I was, um, I was looking on Facebook for some reused lumber to make a table out of. And I got a hold of this woman. She goes, call my dad. He just took apart his hundred and you know, 20 year old barn board by board. And so I call him and he's this old farmer and he's like, my kids showed up and saw that I was burning all this wood and they had my butt. And did you know people will pay for this stuff? And I was like, yeah, dude, like it was just, and I was just shocked too. I was like, I mean, I'd be upset too if, if I found out that you were burning 120 year old wood, you know, um, <laughs> it's just so beautiful and it, it can be used in so many different ways. Um, are you finding, though, that when you kind of reuse this stuff, are there any problems with it or or is there anything that has to be done uh, when you're processing it that people might be surprised about? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, things that we've learned over the over the years. We, we salvage a lot of flooring and reusing that is tricky and you have to have an installer that understands, uh, you know, cleaning out the tongues and grooves and and uh, a client who also understands that it's not going to look like a pre-manufactured floor. Uh, the other issues like being aware of lead-based paint um, and mm. most of that material we don't end up salvaging or using. But if someone wants to match a historical molding or trim uh, and we we bring that in and it's got lead-based paint on it, they just need to be aware of, of the hazard there and, and encapsulate it. Um, there are There's a lot of metal in the wood a lot of nails and and content so when we're milling it here we go through a lot more blades than a typical mill would and if someone's buying it from us to re-mill it uh, that's definitely 
something that they need to be aware of. Uh, even when we demetal, we have metal detectors and lots of great tools to help pull that that metal out. There's still uh, stuff that we miss, and those are some of the the challenges. And then when we're working with the factory windows, for example, those have to be rectified and sandblasted and rewelded and you know, remastered to a certain extent, uh, depending on on what their new use is going to be. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Is there anything that you have found either, you know, you went into a place and you were just like, holy crap, I can't believe this is still here or anything that you found while working with these materials that you were just absolutely in awe of and like, so excited to have found this little treasure? Yeah, one of the early things that I found in a house was in the attic floorboards was a diary of a woman who um, you know, wrote in a daily diary and it was around the time of the, uh, the riots here in Detroit. And that was oh really interesting to read. And we found the, the family and gave that diary back to them. And, uh, that, that was neat. And, uh, you know, to have that little piece of history to go along with the, the material and to also return it to them. So I think that was the most unique and, and, uh, interesting piece we've found. Oh, I love that. <laughs> So uh, how do people, is there a way for people to get involved outside of Detroit? You mentioned earlier you ship nationwide or how does that work? Yeah, people can de- uh, definitely buy the materials and we can ship it to them. Um, there's also the Building Material Reuse Association, which we're a member of and I'm on the board of directors. And that's a national organization that helps uh, people find their local uh, reuse um, outlet or deconstruction operator. So there's there's local uh, outlets in, in many of the regions, uh, and the BMRA is an option to help find that. That they can certainly contact us, and and we can help them find those as well, or we can we can ship the materials. Right now, we're deconstructing a an old uh, uh, horse racing track and all of the stables there. So it's a hundred thousand square feet of buildings and. Uh, over 300,000 board feet of lumber. And we're going to be shipping truckloads of that all over the country at, at very uh, uh, good prices. I mean, is there any fear or maybe that's the goal to run out of places to deconstruct? <laughs> um, no, I don't have any fear of that. And I do get asked that question a lot. Certainly at some point uh, with Detroit's revival, the abandoned homes will be taken care of. Uh, well, we all hope that, but even when they are, the, the homes that have survived are going to outlive their useful life and need to be replaced. And those will be great opportunities for deconstruction. Um, and that'll continue to happen. And I don't really see that ever stopping. And hopefully as we move forward into the future, we can also design things for deconstruction and eventual reuse. Um, so I don't I don't see any uh, risk in running out of materials and design trends always change and we have to adapt and find new ways to use the materials that, uh, and as the materials change. Once we get into the deconstructing homes that were built in the 1980s and 90s with lots of adhesive, we'll definitely have some some cha- new challenges uh, in front of us. But just like asbestos and lead now, we figure out ways to deal with them. What are some of the, do you, what kind of concerns do you hear from building owners when they when they think about partnering with you? Or is there anything we can address? Well, I mean, I think that's one of the best kept secrets, which hopefully won't be a secret much longer, <laughs> is that it really, 
the opportunity to deconstruct is really a no brainer if they can plan it properly, because if they can uh, pay us to deconstruct the building and we're a 501c3 nonprofit. So those materials are a donation to us. And uh, we work with third party uh, appraisers to make sure that that's all uh, you know, we don't determine the value of that. The third party appraiser does. But for example, on a residential house, you might have a hundred thousand dollars in donated value of materials and demolition may cost 20,000 and deconstruction may cost 30,000. But if they're in a tax bracket to get, uh, you know, let's say they're in the 39% bracket, they're going to get $39,000 back and be $9,000 net positive on the deconstruction of that building. Or same case with, uh, with business owners, if, you know, it's going to be more in the 20% bracket now with the tax changes. But if they have a tax liability and they pay us to deconstruct and they get a donation receipt for a uh, hundred thousand, they're going to get 20,000 back and they'll still be over demolition, 10,000 uh, net positive. So uh, just those are quick round numbers on, on different approaches. But once we have the opportunity to talk to folks, it's uh, it's a pretty easy sell. Concerns that they have are generally the timeline. Is it going to impact their timeline? Um, and if we get involved at the right point in it, it, it shouldn't. Um, deconstruction, taking apart a building by hand is obviously going to take longer than crunching it up and throwing it away. But typically, you know, the buildings sit there for a while and permitting and, and different parts of the process where we can get in there and get our work done before it uh, uh, affects them because uh, we can get in and start doing interior removal and, and a lot of things uh, depending on jurisdiction before you, know, you even have a, a demolition permit or deconstruction permit would be nice, but I don't think there is such thing. That's great. And um you know, one thing too is I, it drives me crazy whenever people try to break things up into generations, but I'm going to do it right now. Um, you know, one thing that we are noticing also is that um, looking at Gen Z as they are starting to come out into the market and they are starting to have more buying power is that um, Gen Z as a whole, stereotypically, wants to be doing things and wants to um, back up companies that are providing like great opportunities. You know, you were talking about people who have criminal records and being able to help them and being able to reuse these these products and everything. Um, we're really seeing that there's going to be a massive increase in what that generation thinks is valuable. And um, and that's something that I know I've talked to a couple of designers about it, but you know, that architects and designers and building owners really need to think about for the future is if you're putting together something that's supposed to be there, you know, building for 10, 20, 30 years, you need to be looking at like, well, how can I, how can I create the best possible uh, space or building that is going to get kind of a reaction from the people who have buying power in the next 20, 30 years. Um, so I think it's not only a great story, but I, I think something that um, building owners and designers need to take into consideration is, is who is the future and what are they, what do they care about right now? Yeah. The, the businesses that we've worked with that have made uh, the reclaimed materials a feature of their 
uh, space have definitely seen the benefit of that in their business. Um, and it is really those places create or what's creating some of the trend to that extent too, because they, um, you know, some of them were made decision to do that before that was popular and, um, have helped establish it and definitely, uh, bring business in because of that, because of the aesthetics and because of the story. Uh, so I think it's a, I mean, it, it's a triple bottom line impact for everyone involved. So is there, um, I, I always love to close out with just asking, is there anything that we may have missed that you think is really important for our readers to, uh, to know about and to keep in mind, um, either working with your company or working with re, uh, reused goods? I think the key is to make sure that people who don't know about the opportunity of deconstruction know about it, know about it, know about the benefit, not only to the environment and the local economy, but to themselves and the tax benefit. Um, it's really once everyone knows about the opportunity, it's uh, it's a no brainer. And there's people around the country that are providing these services and they can certainly give give us a call or connect to the BMRA and, and find a local deconstruction operator or reuse store to keep more of these materials out of the landfill and put them back into the reuse economy. Well, thank you so much for making the time. Um, definitely appreciate it. And we'll, um, you know, if anybody has any questions, they can always drop us a note and um, we'll connect you.